Welcome to November. It really does seem like this year has ran. It's November. We just finished the women's FIFA window. Uh, African Olympic qualifiers look great. Ken is on a Christine Sinclair retirement tour. And coming this week, we're going to see the beginning of the FIFA men's U17 tournament, as well as Canada release its roster for its Copa America qualifiers. Also better known as CONCACAF Nations League 2024. So much to discuss. So much to cover. So let's talk about it. We're really going to cover a couple things in this. Um, an interesting trend when it comes to the can MNT and the can WNT slash XNT. And I think the, the major realization with both squads is one midfielder really does make or break their system. And it's true. We saw this with the men when they played Japan. Yes, a 4-1 loss was not the ideal slot, but it really did highlight the importance of Stefan Stachio playing at Porto. When you look at that, there's just a lot of things to talk about. But we've had a lot of interesting things when it comes to it. We have the U-17 roster dropped. Right? For those of you who haven't watched it or haven't seen it, let's give you a rundown of what that roster is. We did put a quick short out for you earlier, so if you guys haven't been to our YouTube page, please go there and give us a quick watch. Give us a like, follow, subscribe, all on our platforms. I don't really promote much. I just kind of talk. It's what I enjoy doing when we have the boys together. We talk well. But when it comes to Canada's U17, now U17 term for FIFA starts for the men. It's men U17 tournament that begins on November the 10th. We have Canada with Uzbekistan as well as Spain and Mali. I think Mali is going to be the most interesting group team in this group. Canada, I was listening to Northern Football today, and I think they said, all right, I think Canada has a chance to move through, but not necessarily the best chance overall. So when it comes to that, it really does come down to just playing, comes down to form, comes down to all those aspects of things. And I think that's what's really going to establish what their ability is and really how far they can go. Thankfully, they have top two, but also the four of the top six third place teams will make it out so i think that does give them the chance that second game i think versus uzbekistan they get probably need to get a win underneath their belt there just to kind of work through ultimately i mean these tournaments as i've said before youth tournaments aren't an indictment of what your development system is it's a snapshot it doesn't necessarily guarantee your success nor does it mean that they are failures it's just a snapshot of what that particular coach looks at and sees as the best to win and move in a tournament that way so ultimately that's kind of what we're looking at when it comes to that but when it comes to the roster breakdown here we're looking at a very interesting setup of teams and players two professionals again you have tj Tahid, uh out born out of bc Ghanaian descent, but then also born from D.C., so nice little dual national than Kevin Tervenier's. Those two players are CPL players. TJ got more minutes this year, so his ability to kind of go through, we'll kind of go through. I don't necessarily believe the notion that from a U-17 to a U-19, there's a, there's a much of a gap. I still think there's more talented players when it comes to that. I think the setup matters at the end of the day versus just hey these types of players are here versus those players are over there i think the setup does matter but then so we're looking at 
Canada's U17, let's go through everything. Nathan Abraham, Dominic Kanarancic, Alex O'Brien, Lino Aikil, dual Algerian as well as Canadian. So you do have options. Richard Chukwu again, Young Galdemotny had a nice CONCACAF championship. Victor Fung, Aiden Fong, Etienne Godet, Shamero Mezzi, Theo Rigopoulos, Lazar Stefanovic played at TFC, got some minutes as well. In the midfield, Javent Baldwell, Alessandro Biello, Philip Ipek, Tyler Londono. Then up top, you have Anthony Kulkowski, Lucas Ozenbeck, Eric Pop, TJ Tahid, and Kevon Tiffernier. Now, it's really different from what it's set up in different spaces. Um, at If you look at transfer market, you'll see again, Canada's looking more like a player like Richard Chukwu is looking like a attacking midfield. We saw him play as a center back at CONCACAF Championship, so there may be some more flexibility within the squad. We did see that they did, though, lose to Brazil in some other games, did lose to Argentina 2-1, and if they're going to be defensively all right, maybe just a matter of letting some moments of brilliance shine through. But like I said in my video, in my live, I think Canada has a chance to get out of this group. Nothing would surprise me. I think they're on paper should be probably the third best team in this group but there's no real separation i think maybe put them over uzbekistan and then maybe it's a neck and neck fight with Mali. i think starting off with spain is a good first step to understand the level of the group maybe they come out of that maybe you sneak out a win and the next thing you know you're thinking to yourself hey we have a bit of a better chance to do something in this tournament overall or maybe it's a slap back to reality and we go through from there so i'm, I'm very curious to see what Canada is able to do when it comes to that. But then ultimately, now we really start the conversation. So Canada's women's team, they finished their two friendlies with Brazil, winning the second match 2-0. And to, again, I don't think it's fair to boil it down to simple things like it really comes out of one player. But let's be very honest. Jesse Fleming is the motor of this team. It, the parallels between the men's team and the women's team are so interesting to me. Both teams have a a fullback playing at a high level that do you want them playing further up the pitch or are they best suited at playing defensively? Lawrence and Davies. They have two strikers who maybe right now haven't had their full form, but can definitely do something. Vienne, as well as Heidema and Leon. And then you look at the boys and Laren and, and David. But midfield trying to find like the right partners because the key, Ustakio and Fleming, those two players are the engine for both teams. It makes a lot of everything they're trying to do work because they're the connectors. Against Japan, we saw the men struggle really to connect. Kone is a good, solid player who's getting minutes at that championship level. Still needs to go up to another gear. Bustakio is that player. I mean, we saw him at CONCACAF. Not CONCACAF, sorry. We saw him at, we saw him at the Champions League. Draw a penalty, score a goal. He's looked great for Porto. Then we look at someone like Jesse Fleming. She is the most important player. And I don't think it's fair to say, yeah, get me Fleming and this team is good. But you have such young players with such high caps, but they are the engines for their teams. And there's no hesitation as to why that is. And we saw it. Once Fleming got onto the pitch in the second half in Halifax, Canada looked different, right? You had more opportunities. And then, you know, over the weekend, we see Fleming connect with Lawrence at Chelsea for, Ch for Lawrence's first goal. Jesse Fleming is the most important player for the women's national team, especially now that they begin this officially. As long as they officially start this era, 
without Christine Sinclair, even though they have been performing without her. I mean, now they're beginning this era without her. The most important player will be Fleming. Is she the captain? I think, again, like I said in our conversation with Josh, I think Becky ends up being that leadership voice, that veteran in the room now. But the most important player for that team is Jesse Fleming. She's playing at one of the highest levels, if not the level now, if only for her to get consistency, continue to develop there. But how Fleming works in is important. We saw Reagan get some minutes, and maybe she provides that option with no Desiree Scott, with maybe as a pairing option with Quinn. We did see uh, Priestman go to that box in the midfield, just try to give them more options along with the wingbacks and the striker. But we saw some interesting things. It, it was unfortunate that you didn't get to see play, the, the collegi- as many collegiate players, right? You didn't get to see a Jade Rose. You didn't get to see a Simeo Ujo. Even other players, you know, the U20s coming up will probably be given time just to continue to <laughs> marinate. But I think the second most interesting thing of those games was just, again, I am biased because she is from Welland. And, and I am too from Welland, so... Sabrina D'Angelo and distribution. I think it's getting a conversation. And I think all the comments are right, right? Everything I've heard about this is right. Sheridan is definitely the better of the shot blockers and shot stoppers. But D'Angelo being more comfortable on the ball certainly does open up options when it comes to how you want to build from the back, right? It does give you those options. Now, she had blunders. I remember I saw someone on Twitter say, well, she made a blunder against, I think it was United. That's why she shouldn't start. In the same breath, Sheridan made a blunder against France in the friendly lead-up to World Cup. Shout out to uh, Alex for pointing that out. They both make mistakes, but one of the things that she does now is you start to create the questions in terms of what can you do. And I think it only helps now that you have a string of friendlies coming up. You have friendlies in the January, February, March window. And I think that's what's more interesting to me. As much as the She Believes Cup is going to be, you know, exciting and great, I, I would love to see Bev and if the CSA can get them, get them to the Arnold Clark Cup again. Get them. There's enough tournaments in January where you have options for where you want to play. Right? You have the Tournoi de France that you have. Spain did a tournament as well. They have options. And the question is now... Will they be able to do something with it? We saw them at the R. Clark Cup. They, she believes is probably the easiest thing to do. But I do think now, I do wonder what will happen now with the year. So last time, uh, Tournoi de France was in February. Two teams, and it was a three-match window. And what made it interesting was you had Uruguay, you had Denmark, you had Norway, and you had France. I think what would be interesting is you have France there. Maybe throw in a Canada... Or I forget what the tournament in Spain is that they ran. But there are options in Europe is the point. There are options in Europe. Or if Canada wants to do it, just run their own little three-country set where they just bring players in, they play, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a grand old time. I don't know the value of playing the U.S. right now. It may just be that you get to play the U.S. without... Um, as they are transitioning. Now, by all reports, it's looking like Emma Hayes is the new incoming president, not the president, the incoming coach, manager, the gaffer for the USMNT. She'll be leaving Chelsea, which now means there's going to be some interesting developments with the sport. They've they've definitely thrown the gauntlet in saying the US 
SF has said, you know, we're going to, we want the best. And Chelsea seems to be a, a player, a coach who can handle multiple types of top personalities. Maybe she can now grow and unlock some of those players. And I've said this before. I'm going to continue to say this. Now, I think this next Women's World Cup, the winner of that, then we can have a conversation where it's who has that best generation of football. Because I think Spain will look great. But now we're giving some of these young players that opportunity to get their feet wet, right? Which is why I said I didn't think the U.S. is going to win that last World Cup. England will have a few more years. France will look better. Sweden will have to transition. It will be very intriguing to watch. But come January and February, it will be very fascinating for me to see what they're able to do in that. And just to remind everyone, the women have the... Oh... Well, that certainly does change everything. So I did misspeak here because I thought they had more. But the W Gold Cup is actually happening in February, which means Arnold Clark Cup won't be happening. That is unfortunate, but it is what it is. But then that means that you open up April and then July as your windows for games and tests and preparation. So these last two games against Australia will be their only preparation before they won't be able to play Arnold Clark or she believes because that time isn't blocked off now if you play a she believes cup that time isn't blocked off so it'll have to happen outside of everything but that'll be very interesting to see kind of how that works out so I'm very curious to see what Bev does but now I'm, I'm curious to see what Bev does now heading into this April well not this April this Last window here, this November-December window. It's a two or three match window. Canada has two matches set up, and more than likely, it's probably going to be continued preparation. I wonder if any of the collegiate students can get in, right? Specifically at Jade Rose, Simia Wujo, Harvard, and USC. I wonder if they can do something with that. Can any of the professionals come through? I'm not sure, but I think probably some of the players playing in Europe can Stratagak is push back into this roster over who i'm not sure everyone is looking good and i think this this three at the back system is opening up playing opportunities for players i don't know if again i'll continue to say Haidema out wide though she's great and she continues to improve there again her scoring a goal against brazil in that second game is great her with a pairing with vienna is something i've been most intrigued with in watching and if we can get that combination Almost screened at 3-5-2, but almost in that 3-2-3-1. No, no, 3-2-3-2. Because if you go that, that back three, maybe it's a combination of... Yeah, that back three now becomes interesting, right? Because you have Gilles, you have Zdorsky, you have Buchanan, Jade Rose now fighting for positions there becomes interesting. That right wing back position between Sidney Collins, between Jade Riviere, and then probably returning... Chapman that creates that competition in the middle, almost allowing a player like Chloe Lacasse vibe that middle with those wing backs, but then provide support underneath the strikers becomes very interesting because now what do you do? Do you want to just keep Chloe there? Do you instead of putting Jesse Fleming further back the pitch, do you move her up the pitch and put her in that role? And then now you create those channels and those passing and you have you see very clearly the triangles that are created up top now you're starting to see those forwards be healthy and that was the interesting thing to me realizing 
that playing some of these forwards as just forwards versus wingers and nines does change and simplify the game a little bit. Looking at a player like Deanna Rose or Nichelle Prince saying, you know, maybe they'd be better off as wingers. Maybe they profile more as wingers, but they are, they've been thriving in this. But now that means you have two spots and where are the openings in the squad? Right. If you say, OK, it, you're going to go Leon and Heidema. OK, underneath them, you clearly have Yen. You have Prince. You have Rose. I, I mean, I saw Jess Flippo just scored again. And that's great. But like she'd have to displace one of these players. And maybe you don't see that. And that kind of you know, that will lead into another conversation in terms of opportunity. We'll talk about the, the men's side with that. But this this squad is going to be very tight. Now, the good news is we have that the Olympics are just going to be 22 players. Or 20 players. We're in the 20s. It's not 18, which means it opens up, but it has to be three keepers. So there is a bit more flexibility. And with a returning, we haven't even mentioned her, Janine Becky. This opens a door for a lot of competition, especially about CONCACAF W, Gold Cup. That, I think, will be very fascinating because you'll have the best South American teams coming then you'll have all the CONCACAF teams there. And I think it'll be a great experience for those teams which are trying to push through and continue to gain the experience. Like, like a team like Jamaica, that would be like the ideal spot for them. But with Jamaica, man, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be definitely interesting. So because of that, with Jamaica's struggles with their squad versus their federation, they've dug themselves into a hole. And so it'll open it up, and I'm very curious, but Bev does not have an easy task. It's great that the Fed has finally given this side friendlies at home versus in different areas. Like I've always said, I think I'd be critical of them from the standpoint of they could have been more creative in terms of how they would call up players versus trying to see new players at the end. And I think you could have tried to see those players as you went on. But I think for Bev, it's a great match window coming up in November the end of November, December. I mean, yes, it is Christine Sinclair's send-off from international football, but a great matchup with Australia. And it'll be interesting to see how they kind of set up and work their way around. So I'm curious, but the bat the, the matchup battles are, are very fascinating. And I, for one, look forward to see that. I think fullback, that 10 position, and then the best forwards in form will be very fascinating. Very fascinating indeed. Hopefully they get another camp as well, maybe in January where they can get the squad together just to train. That would be very ideal because that's something we do lack. But when we talk about opportunities and opportunities that do present themselves or do not present themselves, I think this is where I, I we need to have a conversation about the program as a whole, but specifically looking at the men's side. And, and I think the first thing we have to start off with is an acknowledgement of what has won successfully. They have been able to get players. They got Cavalini to switch over. Ustakio came over, right? Players of that caliber. You got Tejan, who, though, wasn't really on the radar of, say, of a, of a Jamaica. You still got him. You got a junior Hoylet. You got Alfonso Davies. Let's work. Now, as we enter this cycle post-World Cup game right, for hosting... This isn't just a Biello problem. I think it's a this current admin because fairly or not fairly, I think we have to look at um, Biello as part of the Herdman 
staff, so it's the, the, the herdman tree, so to speak. Opportunities given are very rare to come by. And I know we're going to get into this roster, but nothing really does surprise me from a roster, especially from a coach who, after being down 3-0, the thought was, let's add in more defensive solidity and roll the tide there, and then immediately concede goal number four. So that doesn't surprise me any one bit. That being said, there's an interesting conversation that comes with the squad. So today the men announced their roster for the CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinals, a.k.a. Copa America qualifiers, a.k.a. judgment. <laughs> we are going to pass. As Canadians, we're going to pass so much judgment on this squad, regardless of the result. Well, the result will be bearing of it. But let's give you the roster here. So goalkeepers, Milan Borian, Maxime Crepeau, Dane St. Clair. Defenders, Adekubi, Cornelius, Alfonso Davies, Luke de Fougeral, Alistair Johnston, Richie Larea. Kamal Merler and Stephen Vittoria, Ali Ahmed, Stephen Estacchio, Mark Anthony K, Ishmael Kone, Jonathan Osorio, Sam Piet, and then up top, Tejan Buchanan, Lucas Cavallini, John, Jonathan David, Junior Hoylet, Kyle Aaron, and Liam Miller. Now, if this was the qualifying roster, or more specifically, if this was 2021, 2022, even the end of 2020, you look at this roster, you'd say, yeah, there's no problem. I don't think you can objectively look at this roster and say this squad is the best squad that is there. And I think everyone universally agrees with this. No one is looking at the squad and saying this is our best 23. This is the 23 that BL is most comfortable with. Do I agree with it? No. But it's the 23 that he selected. Now... <laughs> There's a lot in this roster that we can talk about. Um, there is a prevailing conversation, which I think we cannot ignore. Because for me, it, you can't keep on ignoring that part of the conversation. That being said, I think friend to the show, Adam says it best. Right? It's a very veteran heavy squad. And I kind of alluded to it in my tweet about it, which was essentially, look, good to see Defugeral in. He got his full debut in the Carabao Cup. Uh, Ali Ahmed back in. And then we're kind of wondering why Cavallini and Kay are there. But that's who the coach picked. And ultimately, that's the reality. That's who the coach selected. So all the best to the lads. We can all complain about who was there, who wasn't there. I don't think anyone is denying that better players or better informed players were left off. No one is denying that. That being said, <laughs> the conversation has to be very much stated, which is, what are we doing with this? Right? I think when it comes to the men's side, my biggest frustration is the way CONCACAF sets up right? It gives your top teams opportunities. We look back at September, October. The qualified teams, that's two FIFA windows you have to set up friendlies. And to Canada's credits, or really lack thereof, they set up one game. You had the... I, I watched Ghana lose to Mexico and then get thrashed by the U.S., 
in the same week that I could only watch Canada once. And that was frustrating to me. But <laughs> I think what made that game the most frustrating was is this. They're down 3-0, and the call, instead of experimenting, was let's stop the bleeding. We, we have no none of the ball, but let's stop the bleeding, which immediately led to another goal. So with that being said, I don't think we should be surprised by the coach who's down 3-0 and thinks this is... <laughs> I don't think we should really be surprised when the coach who was down 3-0 thought to shake things up, let me swap a center back and stop the bleeding when the problem was you weren't creating anything. So should I be surprised that the coach went in the direction they did? I'm not surprised Biello went that direction. Is it frustrating? It's frustrating as a fan. It's as someone who follows this team. And I think the difficulty is just, well, when... Are you supposed to? And this is where the, the, the CONCACAF conversation, which is also why I'm not the biggest fan of Nations League. When are the opportunities for you to actually see? I, I think with more federations moving into this, let's give our teams, let's create these competitions to do things and then put you know like-minded teams. You really do kill the friendly. The friendly has died nearly in the, on the men's game. And the friendly was the opportunity to see players. The friendly was an opportunity to evaluate players, you know, give some players out. Now when everything is, and which is why one of the reasons I think on the women's side, I'm not the biggest fan of going straight to Nations League. While I get it, their heart is in the right place from let's get like-minded teams or let's get similarly ranked teams together so that we can improve it. But you're not giving yourselves those breaks per se. And yes, I understand, representing your country is an honor and something you need to get. I, I don't deny that. But when are you going to go? The, the, ref the refrain I've heard the most with this roster is, now is not the time. You need to qualify for Copa America and those things. Well, when is the time? And I think that's my most frustrating point. When is going to be the time? Right? Because well, let's, let's be real. Let's look at this properly. When will the time be? Will it be January? Unless you do a, a, a Camp Poutine, which we haven't done in a while. No. The only other camp you have there is March for that. So you have Copa America that happens. All right, that's cool. So then after that, you have June. You have the June window before Copa America, and then that's when you're going to play games. Now... If you want to make the argument that, hey, you need to qualify for this, then you can experiment, that's sure, that's fine. I'm, I'm not, I understand that logic. But at some point, you have to say, hey, we are going to qualify. We, we're, we're going to start to transition. Because every argument can't always end with, and I think as fans, that's where the frustration comes in. There have been so many times, numerous occasions, We'll see a roster, and the frame is, well, now's not the time to transition. But when the opportunity comes, it's, well, we need to give the team valuable reps. We need to do things. We need to, we need to let them gel or try new systems. Now, granted, Canada's in a different position now because they don't have their, their gaffer. Herdman is gone. Whether you loved him or hated him, he is gone. So, if you want to argue, sure, you need to 
have a coach be familiar with players. But this is the same set. This is the system. And the notion of going with players who've been there before also lays out a very important thing that we're missing. Because they were at a level where they were ready to play there before, right? This roster is great if the year is 2021 or 2022 when that 23 is firing on all cylinders. Look at this roster today. Who here is playing well in that whole 23? Who here are in good form? Ustakio, you'd say for sure. Tejon's coming off some good performances, but he's coming off of injuries. Your two nines haven't looked good. Your your midfield outside of Ustakio and Kone are lacking. The only interesting names that you brought up are Defugrel and Kone, and not Kone, Defugrel and Ali Ahmed, who had a good showing at the Gold Cup. But then we look at that Gold Cup, it's like, okay, well, who was there? And I think that's where the frustration continues there. It's because the conversation of when is the right time going to be? Because ultimately, my biggest fear with this is this. They qualify for the Copa. And then it turns into, okay, well, these guys have qualified, so they deserve this. right? And that's the thing we heard right before the World Cup. We want to reward the guys for getting there. There's no time for rewarding. You guys got the job done. That's great. Are you playing at the level that warrants a call-up? No. But the problem this becomes like the chicken the egg thing when it comes to um <laughs> experience, right? You want them to have more experience at this level, but you don't give them experience at this level. Which is another gripe I have, right? Because now you're getting into this whole conversation of like, ooh, we want we want players playing in, in tier ones. Why that is a frustrating conversation to me because by the time a player reaches a level have you maybe lost a an ear, right? And that's what happened with Mitrovic, right? Stefan Mitrovic, who's now playing for Serbia. Maybe if you're holding out hope, there's there's a chance the door opens. But Mitrovic, you waited for him to get to Red Star Belgrade, and then you said, okay, let's call him up. At that point, he was already integrated into U17, <laughs> U20 there. So then why would a player want to move from there? I think the the conversation of transitioning hits harder, mainly because we don't plan. We don't chase players. It feels as if we wait for them unless you find one, right? And I'll give them credit over the last few years. When they see young players, they do take chances on them. Theo Corbianu, Theo Corbanu. I'm going to do this for the rest of time until I hear the man say his name. And I'm sure there's a track out there for it. He's, he was doing well at Wolves. Brought him in. Ishmael Kone. You can't ignore that. Looked great at the beginning of the year. Got in and now is an important part of the midfield. Luke Fujral probably is going to be one of those players, right? Shout out to Jamie Knight and LaBelle. Other players coming in. Daniel Jebison, we're still waiting. But again, the whole Jebison point is like, if you're not going to give E.K. Ugbo call-ups, where does Jebison fit here? And that's the thing. Like, where does he fit? Right, and then this also comes down to the whole conversation in terms of what are you doing? This this is playing back the hits, right? This is the 2021 run, so it's going to be, what, 
442 probably running that way and my answer to that is from a recruitment standpoint where do players fit right if you're still holding on to the hope and the prayer and the faith that Luca Koliosho somehow pulls a 180 and comes to Canada where's he going to play half of people want him, want Davies to play as a fullback the other half want him to play as a winger answer is very simple Play Davies where you can open up more options for this roster. What is our fullback depth? It's all right. What is our winger depth? It's middling, but I think that position can play well. And what does that mean to me? I think you're better off playing Davies in the back line. Because if you're able to do that, now that opens the door for wingers to come through. Because I think wingers is the more interesting thing. You you want to play a 3-5-2 to a 4-4-2. Okay, you need solid midfielders. Where are the camps? Right? I've, I've gone through this conversation. Kone more of an 8. Stakio 6-8. Where are the 10s? Right? Nelson can play that 10-ish role. But gone. And that's the whole conversation with the duels. Right? The duels that we're losing are all the same type of profile, it feels like. Important positions to us, yes. But look at the young duels that we've missed out, right? Marcelo Flores, Cam. Seven Mitrovic, Cam. Jesse Costa, to an extent, Cam. Look at Diaz, who's still sitting at Sporting. Didn't come for U20s, Cam. Where are the Cam? Now, maybe you think a Saliba grows into that. Maybe you think a Schwanyao, who's more of an eight. I look at him that way. But again, that's where it comes in. And that's the frustration. Like, I wish I could be the women's program where it's like, what? You need Cam? Sure. We got Florian. Jordan coming up. We got uh, Olivia Smith living here life. What? Sarah Stratagakis can do things. Clarissa Laracy, she's out here. <laughs> It's funny you comparing both. The women have so many more options in terms of their depth that at least they've experimented with. I mean, I'll always argue that at some point, Maria Alidu is going to have to play. But I digress. Who do we blame for this? Uh, honestly, let's not have a pointing fingers shouting match. At this point, I'm not going to go into that. Though this is kind of on the CSA, to be honest, because... If you wanted to know what you had, let's go. But again, like I said earlier, I'm not going to be surprised by the coach who's down 3-0 and says, let me lock it down. Why? Go. Oh, it's a friendly experiment. Try things. No? Okay, cool. That is fine. There's also the conversation where, <laughs> ironically, we feel like the team that we're playing, but in reverse form. Right, I'm not saying Jamaica is us. Jamaica is not playing at the same level as us. They're getting results. There's no doubt. But Jamaica right now feels more like what Canada felt like at the beginning of World Cup qualifiers, where the conversation was maybe they can do something. And Canada feels like Jamaica, right? On our second interim coach or an interim coach calling back players who maybe don't deserve to be called up versus teams who, you know, there, there are names for Canada, no doubt, that you look at and say, ooh, those guys are going to be problems. But as a unit, have they looked well? 
it's a bit of an ironic take when you look at it that they've almost flipped paces. Now, maybe when they play, Canada just is able to out-maneuver, out-press, out-talent teams, whatever the question may be. But it's interesting looking at this on paper. It feels as if <laughs> we've switched places with the reggae boys. And Hogerson's done a decent job with them, right? Recruitment's looking good. They're getting pre-camp friendlies look at other players. It is remarkable to look at to say, hey, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, they feel flipped. In terms of their form, maybe not their players overall, but their form feels flipped. And I think I'm a little bit concerned because you look all up and down that roster and you think, okay, Jamaica have the parts. And then you look at Canada, it's like, okay, Jonathan David is hasn't played, has been dropped because his play has been poor. Or maybe that's on him. Maybe that's on the club for not selling him and waiting till now and then trying to sell. I, I do blame Lille because Lille, I think, overplayed their hand here because last time they had a nine that they wanted to sell was Victor Osman. And look up who Victor Osman is now. So I think Lille walked into the Jonathan David situation and said, we're not going to be Osman again, right? Because what did they sell Osman for? It was a it was a nice number. Yeah, because if you look at Victor Osman, like they sold Osman to Napoli for about twenty million, and now, no, 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 they sold him for forty mil. Yeah, they sold him for forty mil because he got it from Charleroi for about twenty two, but they sold him for forty. And now he's worth 120. So I think they overplayed their hand. I think they should have struck while they could have got something. But now ultimately they're in a situation where they have a player who has performed but isn't currently performing. And because of that, now you have a player because... And the, the funny thing is, David is a year younger than Osman. But... I think they overplay their head, and now they have a player who may not be happy and is kind of plateaued at that 60 million mark. While maybe they would have been better off selling him back in December of 2021. I think that would have been the ideal time, maybe right after the World Cup, though he didn't have the best of showings. But that's the crazy thing. He's one year younger than Osman. And David's not in form. Laren finally scored, but what? In the, the Coupe del Rey? So scoring against, what, a third, fourth tier division? Yet, okay, a goal's a goal. Form is form. But they aren't looking well. I, th I think that's the one concern that we're going to have. We will eventually have that preview with uh, JD from the IMAXIT, WeMAXIT, AllMAXIT channel. But I mean, that's, that's a bit of my concern. So in short, let's wrap this. U17s are starting um, this week. Depending on when you're listening to, it's probably today. Um, make sure you watch that AM footy on a Friday's first matchup, Canada versus Spain. Wondering how those professional players look, but I'm wondering what they, what Canada can do here. I'm not going to judge this roster too harshly because it's 17-year-olds and there's some of them have started their professional journey. Just because Canada loses a Spain or Canada thrashes Spain doesn't mean that Canada is ahead of them. Let's be realistic. 
But all the best of the lads there. Also, that Kata versus Molly matchup is going to be very intriguing. Because I think Molly might be the low-key dark horse for Africa in this tournament. What comes to the women here in Canada? Jesse Fleming is the most important player for this squad. I would love to see some more um, midfielder options. So at least Bev can play around with that. Maybe against Australia she gets to do that. But Fleming is the motor for any type of setup um, because how she carries how she attacks her tackles she's a disruptive creative player she's not as destructive as say like a six but she has those tendencies hard-nosed player gets the ball moving and when you see her on the pitch against brazil she was a difference no doubt about it and then when we go to the men's play the old hits which is fine. It feels like, you know, <laughs> that actually is the best way to describe it. This roster feels like going to like a Halloween, uh, a midnight Halloween store. You know, those Halloween stores where they have all the costumes. And then you see the retro is like when you grew up, right? That's what this roster feels like. It's nostalgic, but it's like, ooh, do these, uh, does this jumpsuit still work here in 2023? We'll find out. And we're going to see how that goes. But Canada playing Jamaica next week for the men's. And we'll go from there. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but also start to talk a little bit about the matchups with AFCON. CAF Women Olympic Qualifiers. We're down to our final eight. We're going to continue with that conversation and going through. And yes, still working on that Jamaica conversation. Guys, thanks again for being with us. Enjoy your weekend, and bye-bye for now.